Amen. You can go ahead and be seated at this time. Uh, last week, we concluded uh, the portion of the message series that we've been working through answering the question, what do we as members believe? And we took several weeks and we worked through our church's statement of faith. Uh, if you would like a copy of that statement of faith, there will be one of those available for you at guest services on your way out this morning. Uh, you can also find a copy of it on our website. If you go to FresnoChurch.com, click the menu, click About Us. There's a page there that says Our Beliefs. You can find it all online as well. And this morning, as we conclude the series, we're going to be answering the, the third and final question, which is, how do we as members live? And as we consider what it means to be a member of the Fresno Church, we're going to conclude the series by looking at our membership covenant. Now, a membership covenant is basically an agreement that we make together as members with each other. It's uh, how we agree, this is how we agree on how we should live as a church. Uh, this membership covenant doesn't address the way we as a church operate. Uh, that's our church constitution. We'll be talking about that hopefully later this year. Uh, a membership covenant is a statement that says, this is how we believe we should live as members of the Fresno Church. Now, by way of review, let's uh, revisit what we believe about ourselves as a church, as laid out in our statement of faith. We reviewed this in the very first message in our series when we answered the question, what is membership? And in that message, we talked about what is the, the local church? What is the global church? And our statement of faith says, we believe that every believer is a member of the body of Christ and a part of the universal church. The local church is a group of baptized believers who gather as representatives of God's kingdom on earth to declare his glory through proclaiming the word, observing the ordinances, prioritizing prayer, seeking consistent spiritual fellowship for mutual accountability and encouragement as we display God's love and holiness, using the gifts of the spirit to support each other and evangelize the lost locally and globally. The church's two offices are the pastors or elders and deacons. So the membership covenant then will flesh out that definition and its agreement that we make with each other. As we've seen throughout this series, the local church is meant to display the glory of God. It's meant to put on display how God has separated us as a people. And in just a moment, I'm going to read that membership covenant for us. And then what we're going to do in this morning's message is briefly unpack each point with scripture for this morning's message. Now, as we look at each one of these scriptures, we're not necessarily going to be taking a, a deep dive into all of these. Uh, we're going to work through the entire covenant this morning, and this will outline for us how we believe that we as members should live. But before we jump into that, I want to read Ephesians chapter number four. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter number four. If you don't have one with you, you should be able to find one on the rows close next to you. Several of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning are found here in Ephesians chapter 4, and so I think it's a great one to start off with as we read and study what does it mean to be a member of the Fresno Church. Let's read Ephesians chapter number 4, then we'll pray and jump into the message. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown, abound by, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, 
Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became calloused and gave themselves over to the promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But this is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, so that it gives peace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. And as we consider what it means to be a member here, and as we look at our membership covenant, this agreement that we as members make with each other to help each other really live the life that we just saw laid out in Ephesians 4, I pray that your Spirit would anoint and empower each and every one of us to live that life. I pray that we would believe in our hearts that the promise that you said you've given us everything we need to live this type of a life, to live a life in godliness. Lord, you haven't given us fear, but you have given us power. You have given us a sound mind. You have given us love. Those are ours by birthright as being your children. And I pray that as we consider what it looks like to live as a set-apart body of Christ, that we would do so by faith, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and guided by your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our membership covenant will read this. It says, Having been led, as we believe, by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we looked at baptism a few weeks ago, and in agreement with the Fresno Church statement of faith, we do now, in the presence of God in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully, Enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. As members of the Fresno Church, we, by the grace of God, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and guidance from the Scriptures, promise to strive to develop and practice both personal and family spiritual disciplines. Maintain a lifestyle that is consistent with our new holy nature. Consistently deny the works of the flesh in our own lives. To maintain the unity of the Spirit by walking in brotherly love with my fellow church members. Be quick to forgive, slow to take offense, and work towards reconciliation. We promise to strive to pursue authentic, accountable relationships with other believers for the purpose of discipleship, admonition, and our own sanctification. And we promise to strive to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, but rather seek to encourage, care, and pray for one another to use our spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ, to regularly seek opportunities to share our faith with unbelievers, and to cheerfully lead generous lives by supporting the ministry of the Fresno Church, by offering relief to the poor, and by giving for the advancement of the gospel around the world. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now let's revisit that first paragraph because I want to talk about some of the elements that we put in there. Having been led, as we believe, by the Holy Spirit 
to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in agreement with the Fresno Church statement of faith, we do now, in the presence of God in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. A few weeks ago, we looked at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13, he says, Just as a body is one and has many parts, we also saw that in Ephesians 4 this morning, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Paul is tying being a part of the body back to being baptized in the spirit. We saw this happens at salvation. This teaches us that when a person becomes a believer, they are now part of the global body of Christ. And what we've seen throughout this series is that the local church is meant to be a physical, tangible expression of the universal body of Christ. This is why we ask members to be saved and baptized. You can't be part of the local expression of God's body if you have not been brought into that body. You can't be a part of the local expression if you're not a part of the global body of Christ. When we are saved, we were baptized by the Spirit into one body. Water baptism, the ordinance of baptism that we looked at a few weeks ago, pictures and affirms that. That's why we ask that if you are a member of this church, that you are a saved and baptized believer. Now, if you've never been baptized, let me encourage you, don't write off membership as something that isn't for you, or please don't assume that because you haven't been baptized, we don't want you to be a member of our church. We do. We would encourage you to get baptized and then to join. And if you have questions about baptism, we looked at that. Uh, we looked at baptism a few weeks ago. Uh, you can look at it at our statement of faith. You can re-listen to the message online where we unpacked what baptism means. Or you can set up a meeting with me, and I would love to answer any of the questions that you have. But we do ask that members of our church are saved, baptized believers, because that affirms that they are indeed a part of the global body of Christ. We also ask that our members agree with our statement of faith. Now, one of the things we said multiple times while looking at our statement of faith is that our statement of faith is not meant to be this exhaustive, uh, systematic theology. That would be a book about this thick, and I hope you have one of those and read it often because it's very helpful. But what our statement of faith is, is that these are fundamental theological truths that inform how we do church. They inform how we do things like baptism and in communion, and we looked at why we don't baptize infants and why we um, believe communion is not the continual sacrificing of Jesus. And so our statement of faith informs some of those basic theological truths. It's meant to be a source of unity that we can all agree on. And because we are in unity on these things, we as a church can gather together to be that local expression of the larger body of Christ. Now, the membership covenant also goes on to say that as members of the Fresno Church, we, by the grace of God, the enabling of the Spirit, and guidance of the Scriptures, promise to strive to. That's not just spiritual lingo that we threw in there because it sounds good and fluffy and makes us sound real theological. <laughs> Those three statements are in the covenant because it helps us to remember that living out this membership covenant, living out really what we see laid out in Scripture is not something that we do in our own flesh. We live this because we believe that we have been given the grace of God, and this is what it looks like to live by the grace of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us and enabling us to live this way, and we follow them by the guidance of the Scriptures. We're not up here just making up our own definitions for what it means to follow the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. And we're not making up our own definitions for what are the works of the flesh and what are the fruits of the Spirit. No, we want God's Word to define those things for us. And so we intentionally put those things in there to remind us that ultimately we're not our own authority. Jesus is our head. Christ is the head of the church. And through His Word and through the leading and enabling of His Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, this is what we believe he leads believers into. This is what we believe he leads Christians to live according to. Now, it also says that we strive to live this way. None of us are perfect. <laughs> this is something that we are working towards. Signing this membership covenant isn't saying, I am 100% nailing this thing. I have got it. I am the primo example of what it means to be the perfect Christian. 
Signing the membership covenant isn't that, okay? Signing the membership covenant is about saying that you want to live this way. This is how you are striving to live. Living this way is your goal, and it's what you're pursuing. And it's also about saying that you want this group of people, this local body, to help you do so. And the first thing that we want to look at on that membership covenant is to develop and practice both personal and family spiritual disciplines. We don't do this on our own. We need the continual enabling of the Holy Spirit, and we need to renew our minds. And so that is why right off the bat we say we're going to strive to, by the grace of God, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and with guidance of the Scriptures, develop and practice both personal and family spiritual disciplines. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. I love Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Spiritual disciplines help us get the word of God into our heart. It helps us to renew our mind. It's how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Deuteronomy goes on to say, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. The picture is that these things that we believe, these truths that we hold dear, it's not just something that we think about on Sunday, but it's something that permeates our whole lives. And for those of us that have families and those of us that have children, it's supposed to fill our homes. The other day I was working at home and as I was studying, Sarah was eating lunch with the kids and literally she's, she's teaching our kids catechisms while they are sitting there eating their lunch. She says, what is God? And the kids all give the answer. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's how she is helping our children to, she's really practicing what we see in Deuteronomy 6. And so as members, we want to actively pursue a growing relationship with Jesus. So we're going to work at spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer, like studying the Bible, not just reading it to check it off, but reading it to fill your heart and to fill your mind and to understand God's Word. And we want to do this personally and with our families. This could look like family devotions on a regular basis. It could look like doing catechisms with your children. It could look like just intentional conversations that you regularly have with your kids and with your family. It doesn't need to be a full-blown church service at your home every night. Although if it is, that's great. <laughs> but don't put this pressure on yourself. Oh, I don't know if I could sign this because I can't play the keyboard with my family every night like Hunter does. That's not, that's not the goal. The idea is that we're raising our children and we're raising our families in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The idea is that we are being intentional about spending time with God, personally and with our families. As members of the Fresno Church, we will strive to develop and practice both personal and family spiritual disciplines. Next, we will strive to maintain a lifestyle that is consistent with our new holy nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. God has made you new. And one of the things we've seen throughout this series is that when we become a believer, we are now part of the global body of Christ. And several passages that we have looked at have told us that God has set apart that global body of Christ as his holy bride. And so we want to live lives that reflect our new holy nature. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 says, Therefore, with our minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, I love that phrase, we'll talk about that in a minute. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who has called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. We've seen throughout this series how God has set us apart, set apart his global body to be his distinct representation on earth. God has made us new for the purpose of glorifying him. Glorifying God doesn't need to be this overly complicated, spiritual, vague thing. Glorifying God just means my life demonstrates the beauty of following Jesus. Glorifying God just means my life 
demonstrates why Jesus is worth giving my allegiance to. Why living the way Scripture lays out for us to live is a good and right and beautiful way to live. And so as members of this local expression of the global church, we want our lives to more and more be consistent with who God has made us to be. I love the phrase Peter uses in verse 14. He says, as obedient children. Have you ever noticed how children naturally want to be like their parents? Every single one of my kids has tried to walk in my shoes. Evelyn did it uh, the other week. She put them on and she was just giggling her head off as she was running, trying to run away in my shoes. That's not something I have to bribe them to do for this cute Instagram picture. <laughs> they just naturally want to be like their dad. My daughters naturally want to put, up, put on makeup to be like their mom. They did it this morning. It was a huge mess. They were trying to do nail polish all on their own. We're getting ready, you know, the Sunday morning rush, and they sneak off to the bathroom, get some nail polish, and they're just going to town all over their fingers and Lord knows what else. Children naturally want to be like their parents, and what Peter is reminding us is that we are God's children. That's our identity. That's who we now are. That's our new nature and he's reminding us that this is how we live as God's children. It's not something that we just have to buckle down and really strive really, really, really hard to do. And if I have enough discipline, I can do it. Look, discipline and willpower have their place. But what Peter is reminding us is that this is your new nature. This is who you now are. So as obedient children, just like children instinctively want to be like their parents, we as God's children instinctively want to be like our Heavenly Father. And he outlines that for us. It's a holy life. So be holy in all your conduct. What we're doing is we're coming together as members of the Fresno Church to say we are God's children. We've been made new. And we want, our li- we want to live lives that reflect that holiness for the glory of God. As members of the Fresno Church, we will, by the grace of God, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, with the guidance of the Scriptures, strive to maintain a lifestyle that is consistent with our new holy nature. But we will also consistently deny the works of the flesh. If you have a Bible, flip over to Galatians chapter five. I wanna read a longer passage, verses verses 16 through 26 of Galatians chapter five. Paul says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. Last week we looked at that moment when there's no longer that struggle. When we have our glorified bodies and there's no longer the struggle between our new holy nature and the flesh or the sin that remains in our flesh. Paul's helping us know how to navigate the in-between, the navigate the here and now. He says, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now these works of the flesh are things that we should consistently deny. These are what God says are opposed to and opposite of our new nature. This is the opposite of who God has made you to be. And some of these things on this list are pretty obvious, right? Like we're like, yeah, get those immoral. Yeah, get the moral impurity. Yeah, preach against the sorcery. But what about outbursts of anger? Or selfish ambitions? Or envy? 
These are things that God say are opposed. This is opposite of who you now are in Christ. This is the opposite of walking in the Spirit. So if there's consistently outbursts of anger in your life, you're consistently losing control and just getting angry and bursting out in anger, that should be a red flag that, man, I'm not walking with the Spirit right now. I'm walking contrary to who I really am. And the way we deny these things, Paul says very plainly at the beginning of this passage, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The way we consistently deny these things in our lives is by following the Holy Spirit. The more and more time you spend with Jesus through prayer and Bible study and Bible reading and spiritual disciplines, the more you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and the more you understand what the fruit of the Spirit looks like and the more renewed your mind will be and then the more default holy living will become in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for saying no to the works of the flesh. Temptation will come, and when it comes, we must deny it. You must say no. Like Joseph in the Old Testament, you got to run. You got to leave. You have to flee that temptation. But our long-term strategy is spending time in the presence of God and learning to walk by the Holy Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is simply living in dependence on Him. It's waking up in the morning recognizing, Holy Spirit, I need you. Even though today is just this routine, mundane, I'm just going about my life, going about my job. I'm not getting up on a stage and preaching a sermon or anything. I still need you just as much as the pastor needs you when he gets up to preach. And so, Holy Spirit, I am living in dependence on you today. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And the more and more you live your life depending on Him, the less and less the works of the flesh will be in your life. And one of the blessings of being a member of a church and living an authentic and transparent life with your church is that you're not alone in this. You have brothers and sisters who can help you walk in the Spirit and deny the works in the flesh. Like we saw in the first message of our series, Christianity is not a solo sport. But as members of a church, we've got each other's backs. And so when that temptation comes, you're not alone. You don't have to feel like, oh man, I'm all by myself and this is such a hard struggle. No, you can get a brother or sister on the phone and say, would you pray for me? Would you come here for me right now? I need your help. And that brother or sister is going to be there for you because we're all members of one body. You have brothers and sisters in your life who can help you recognize when you're walking in the flesh or they can affirm when you're walking in the spirit. As members of the Fresno Church, we will consistently deny the works of the flesh in our lives. Next, we will maintain the unity of the Spirit by walking in brotherly love with my fellow church members. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at the first three verses of Ephesians 4. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. That is such a beautiful phrase. We don't have time to unpack it all today, but if that's, oh, well, I want to unpack it, go home and unpack it. Uh, I would encourage that urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't create the unity. This isn't called keep the unity of the believers. It's keep the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates this unity. He gives us this unity when we get saved. Because remember, when we, are, when we become believers in Christ, we're not just reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to his body. And so when we are reconciled to his body, we become one. That's the unity that the Spirit gives us. He takes people with different backgrounds from different financial states, from different ethnicities, from different worldviews. He takes all these different people, this wide diversity of people, and he makes them one. One new body. The amazing unity of the Spirit. And then he challenges us to maintain or keep that unity by walking in brotherly love. We're to be humble, gentle, patient. We bear with one another. How many of you realize our world is starving for that? A lot of the works of the flesh, factions, selfish ambitions, envy, we see that on display all over in our country, all over in our world. People often 
bemoan the fact that our country is more divided than ever. I don't know that's entirely true. We haven't got to civil war yet, but we are divided. There's no question about that. We bemoan how people have just separated into separate camps, but what I think Christians fail to realize sometimes is that we're the answer for that. Jesus says that you are now one, and he calls us to living a humble life where there's not this proud ambition that wants to make me better than you and is constantly seeking to one-up you or prove why I'm right and you're wrong. No, there's just this humility. There is gentleness, the way we maintain the unity that the Spirit has given us through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus is by living gently. We are to be gentle. We're not angry. We're not in your face. We're not harsh. The picture here is it's, it's a gentle nurse caring for a baby. That's the way we are to be with one another. Gentle. It says we're to be patient. We all love it when people are patient with us, but how often do we fail to be patient with others? This patience that we're called to is who we now are in Christ. And as we recognize how long-suffering and patient God is with me, that then enables us to be patient with our fellow believers in Christ. He says to bear with one another. The phrase bearing with means to be tolerant or to endure or to suffer with. This, is, this, this means this is difficult. This is against our flesh. Paul said, I'm telling you this so that you will not do what you want to do, like you will deny the works of your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to suffer with somebody. But Paul says the way we maintain the unity of the Spirit is by being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with. This means we're good at putting up with our differences in love. This is not dealing with someone you don't like in an annoyed or exasperated way, like, oh, I guess I got to tolerate you because we're both church members and I signed the covenant. <laughs> No, it's an extension of the love of Jesus and the unity of the Spirit that says, I love you, so I'm just going to suffer with you. I'm going to bear with you. Yeah, we are very different people. Yes, we are quirky. Pastor Nick, I don't understand why you love Lord of the Rings so much. It's weird, but you bear with me in love. Thank you. Thank you, Angel. I do that with you and your Elvis obsession, just so you know. Love you, brother. <sighs> Maintaining the unity of the Spirit is walking in a humble, loving, and gentle, patient way. Because we're family. How hungry is the world for this? And it breaks my heart because so oftentimes the church doesn't do that. We just get swept up right into the worldliness, right into the vision. People gripe sometimes about worldliness creeping into the church, and they talk about music or the color of lights, but I really believe with all of who I am that the worldliness in the church isn't so much about the style of music. It's about the division that happens in the church. And we were given the answer thousands of years ago right here in Ephesians chapter number four. The way we display the glory of God in a broken and fractured world is by showing God has made us new. God has made us humble, gentle, and patient people. God has made us family. And our tie as a family, being a part of the family of God, runs deeper than any blood relationship ever could. Amen. Next, and this is really tied into the previous thought, we'll still be in Ephesians 4, we are quick to forgive slow to take offense and work towards reconciliation. Paul wraps up Philippians 4 by saying, and being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And he doesn't say as it's easy or as it's convenient or as you feel like it. He says, just as God also forgave you in Christ. This helps us understand that as Christians, we don't hold grudges. A Christian holding a grudge should be an anomaly. It should not make sense. It shouldn't be. Christians don't hold grudges. Now, forgiveness and working towards reconciliation, and we, we, we say this often when we talk about forgiveness, it doesn't mean that we keep ourselves 
in abusive environments or legitimately toxic situations. And we need our brothers and sisters to help us understand what is legitimately toxic because sometimes we, 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 we throw that label around, I think, far too often. But having a forgiving heart, maintaining the unity of the Spirit, working towards reconciliation doesn't mean we stay in an abusive relationship. The most forgiving, loving thing you can do is to get out of that relationship. It doesn't mean that we, but it does mean that we don't hold on towards bitterness. Even when we have to leave an abusive situation, as we are getting out of that hurtful environment, we don't hold on to bitterness. It does mean that we don't write people off after making just a mistake. As believers, we've all been forgiven all of our sins. So who are we to hold someone else's sin over them? Now, that doesn't mean we don't address it. We do address it. We've looked at how the New Testament calls us to do this in this series. In the first message, we talked about church discipline, and we talked about when a brother or sister is unrepentant. We talked about the steps that we need to take. If somebody is abusive, we talked about the steps that we need to take. We've looked at that. But when there is a fracture in a relationship, you may need to go to them and seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness and work to repair a damaged relationship. Now, depending on the situation, that might not be advisable or even possible, but you can still verbally release that hurt to God. God, I forgive so-and-so for doing such-and-such. I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm giving this to you. And to pray that out loud is how you can walk in forgiveness with somebody who you might not be able to walk with in your life anymore. But if you hold on to that hurt, it turns into poison in your own soul. As a church, we are part of the eternal family. So we want to be quick to forgive each other and work towards reconciliation. It also means that we won't be easily offended because we recognize we're secure in Christ. Because I am secure in Christ, every little thing that happens into my life doesn't need to offend me, right? Pardon the stereotype, but we don't need to be Karens because we are secure in Christ. We have multiple Karens in our church, and I am so sorry. (laughs) The Karens in our church are not the stereotypical Karen, okay? Because I'm secure in Christ, I, 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 I don't have to be easily offended. Every little thing I disagree with doesn't have to ruffle my feathers or get me all upset, right? I don't need to go and I need to pursue reconciliation with somebody because they like a different sports team. Dude, get over it, okay? As believers, we are not easily offended. Next, we see, and several of these work right into the next one, we pursue authentic, accountable relationships with other believers for the purpose of discipleship, admonition, and our own sanctification. Acts chapter 2, very, very, very familiar passage. 42 through 47, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed among, were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins one to another and to pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. We've spoken about this a lot over the years, so I'm not going to re-preach an entire sermon on it again, but what we see from these passages is that the early church knew each other. They knew who had needs, and they knew who could help meet those needs. And there was just this natural, organic way of meeting everybody's needs and praying for one another because I know it's such a cliche phrase, but they did life together. So my question for us is, who in this church really knows you? like knows you, knows what you're struggling with, knows what's causing you anxiety, knows your joys, knows what's exciting you and what fires you up. Who in this church knows you? And then who in this church do you really know? This isn't just a one-way receiving relationship. We are pursuing this together for the mutual benefit of our 
admonition and discipleship and sanctification. None of what we're talking about works without authentic relationships. In fact, church membership is how we intentionally pursue the type of relationships that we're called to throughout the New Testament. And as members, we strive to pursue those authentic, I'm going to be real, accountable relationships. You can speak into my life, and I can speak into your life, and we're going to hold each other to what we believe the Scripture calls us to with other believers for the, for the purpose of discipleship, admonition, and sanctification. Next, we will strive to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, but rather seek to encourage, care, and pray for one another. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 24, and 25 says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the reasons we gather is so that, because it, gathering helps us hold on to the confession of our hope. Gathering together, when we sing and when we preach, it reminds us, I have a sure and steady anchor. I have a hope that I can hold on to. And the gathering enables us and it helps us to hold steady to our hope. It also helps us to consider each other so that we can encourage each other to do the right thing as we collectively pursue Jesus. Now, being a member of the church doesn't mean you're not, you aren't allowed to miss a Sunday because you're on vacation, right? I'm not saying you're never allowed to take a weekend to go to the coast, okay? We're not a cult. You can do that. <laughs> but it does mean that we take our gathering seriously because we want to encourage each other and we want to be encouraged. Gathering is a way we can visibly remind ourselves that there are other people in my life, that, that there are other believers in my life who I am pursuing Jesus together with. As much as we physically can, we gather together so that we can consider each other and so that we can provoke or inspire one another to pursue Jesus. Now, all of us have people that we naturally gravitate towards. Oftentimes, that's the people in our small groups or it's the people who we know really well, or it's our family, or if you're an introvert, it's yourself. <laughs> it's easy on a Sunday morning to naturally drift towards the people in your life you're most comfortable with. But I, what I would encourage all of us to do, as we consider gathering, I would encourage all of us to more and more make it a habit, make it a priority in your mind to look for someone who you don't usually speak with. Look for somebody who you don't naturally gravitate towards. Maybe it's somebody in a different age group or somebody in a different demographic. Go to them with the idea of, okay, how can I practice Hebrews 10 with this believer? How can I get to know them? How can I care for them? How can I pray for them? Sometimes the person who is sitting alone is a person in need. And so what I want to encourage us as believers, us specifically as members with, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, don't go where you naturally feel most comfortable. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who's the person I need to go talk to today? And then look. As you pray that, look around at who's in the building. Like if I'm being boring in the sermon, look around and ask the Spirit, who can I talk to after the service? This guy needs to wrap this up. Who can I go care for? Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> it's easy to show up on a Sunday morning and go through routine, right? But don't miss the wonderful opportunity that we have together as a Sunday morning. Sunday morning gathering is not about a production. It's not about, okay, we're going to get a mini concert, and then we're going to get this mini inspirational message, and we're going to go home and feel pumped up. No, we gather together so that we can encourage each other. We gather together so that we can all point each other to Jesus. We gather together... So that as we sing, we can remind ourselves through the powerful tool of music what we believe. And we can worship God with that tool. And we sit under preaching so that we can collectively as a local body see what does God's word say? What does God see? We sit under preaching so that ultimately we can know God. And so as we gather, we also gather for the purpose of encouraging each other. What goes on on this stage should not be the only thing we think about when we gather. We should be looking for, okay, who's the person? 
maybe there's a senior member who's always sitting by themselves, and one of our younger members can say, you know what, I'm going to go meet that senior in Christ, and I'm going to go spend a few minutes with that person. Well, maybe there's a senior who can step out of their comfort zone and be like, you know what, I don't understand these young whippersnappers, but I'm going to go talk to them and get to know them. (laughs) Why? Because we are a family. We gather together. We're not going to forsake that gathering, but we're going to seek to encourage and pray for one another, which leads us right into our next commitment. As members, we will strive to use our spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. And one of the things that we as a church have been trying to grow in is doing this outside of what happens on a Sunday morning. Yes, we want to use our gifts to serve this local expression of the body, but we also want to use our gifts to serve the global body. And so one of the things that we've been trying to grow in is, okay, what are ways and opportunities that we can serve the body of Christ outside of what just happens on a Sunday morning? The ministries that we do here are not about just building up this program or building up this uh, spectacle to behold on Sunday mornings. We're not here trying to build our kingdom. We're here trying to build the kingdom of God. So how can we use the gifts and the callings that God has given us to serve the global body? Romans chapter 12 verses 4 through 8 says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhorting. Giving with generosity. If uh, leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Like, Pastor Nick, give me all those definitions. Not in this message, sorry. Go study it yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, we read this earlier. Also says, verses 15 through 16. But speaking the truth in love... Let us grow in every way into him who is the head. So we as a body want to help the body grow to be more like Jesus. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. God has uniquely gifted every one of us, and each one of us are those unique individual parts. And as we use that gift that God has given us in a proper way, Romans and Ephesians tells us that the whole body becomes more like Jesus. And so as members, we want to use those gifts to help our fellow members become more like Jesus. And oftentimes that happens outside of a Sunday morning gathering. Oftentimes I've found that happens around a coffee table in the living room. Or it happens when one person is helping meet the physical needs of another and you might be helping somebody build a fence because he's your brother in Christ, but there is encouragement and there is godly conversation taking place and that can become a teaching. There's so many different ways that we can use our gifts to edify one another. So whether we've been given the gift of generosity or mercy or teaching, our desire is to help each other become more like our Savior. As members, we strive to use those spiritual gifts the way God has gifted us and uniquely wired us to serve the body. But we also strive to regularly seek opportunities to share our faith with unbelievers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, with that authority, with that power, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. His authoritative presence, his powerful presence, his comforting presence is with us always to the end of the age. This passage is known to Christians around the world as the Great Commission. The last thing Christ called his church to do is to spread the gospel, the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection, and then to make disciples of Jesus. So as members, we want to regularly seek opportunities to share our faith with unbelievers and make disciples of all nations. A person may be gifted with more confrontational evangelism. You're gifted at just going up to a total stranger and starting a conversation and making them feel comfortable and then getting right into the gospel. Another person's gifting may lead them towards relational evangelism. Well, you're going to take your time. You're going to get to know this person. You're going to get to see what makes them tick so you can know how to uniquely present the gospel to them. However you feel gifted, what we all want to strive towards 
is looking for opportunities to share our faith. And it's kind of like when you get a new car, you see it everywhere. As you pray for opportunities to share your faith, the Holy Spirit, I promise, is going to answer that prayer, and you're going to start seeing them left and right. And it might just be a simple gospel track that, hey, there's some good news in this little pamphlet. I'd love to leave it with you. Hey, why don't you come to my church and see what we're all about, and then I'd love to follow up with you afterwards and ask you if you have any questions. By the way, inviting people is a great way to start fulfilling the Great Commission, but you just bringing them here is not fulfilling the Great Commission. We want to regularly be sharing the gospel with the people in our lives, and so as members, we regularly seek opportunities to share our faith with believers. So the question is, who in your life can you share Jesus with? Then the last thing we strive for is to cheerfully lead generous lives by supporting the ministry of the Fresno Church, by offering relief to the poor, and by giving for the advancement of the gospel around the world. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Paul says the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. We have several ways that we can be financially generous at Fresno Church. But I would encourage us, your generosity can go beyond what you give here at the church. I'm so thankful for the way our church financially sacrifices and gives. A few weeks ago, we had Mission Sunday, and my heart was so encouraged by this body's radical and sacrificial generosity towards spreading the gospel around the world. God desires that our generosity come from a place of eagerness and cheerfulness. And while we definitely want to support the work that God is doing here, that extends to outside of the work that God is doing here too. So don't feel like you can only be generous to the church. We would encourage that. I am thankful for it, (laughs) believe me. But there are other ways that we can be generous as well. And as we are generous, God promises to take care of our needs. And then our uh, membership covenant will end with, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you are thankful for the grace of Jesus? The love of God the Father, what a beautiful picture. Sometimes we struggle when we relate with God as our Father because we didn't have a good earthly father. But I think the fact that we know we didn't have a good earthly father speaks to how we intrinsically know what a good father is. And God is a good father. This is not the cute, churchy thing to tack on the end of a statement. It's our lifeline. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize that God is with you wherever you go in the person of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit of God (laughs) will be with you when you have to get up and it's Monday morning and you don't really want to because it's Monday. God will be with you. You will have fellowship with God in that moment. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now as we wrap up this series, I want to let everyone know whether you're a member or you're not a member here at this church, we have a copy of both of our Statement of Faith and the Membership Covenant available for you at guest services. So let me talk to those of us who have already joined in membership for just a minute. If you are currently a member of the Fresno Church, here's what I'd like to ask you to do as a takeaway from this series. I'd like to ask you, after the service, swing by guest services and pick up a copy of the Membership Covenant, and I would encourage you to prayerfully sign that Membership Covenant as a way of recommitting yourself to this local body. As a church, we've been through a lot this past year, and I've said throughout the series, one of my goals is that this series would give us a fresh start, that this series would be a way of saying, yes, I am a part of the Fresno Church as we collectively together pursue Jesus. This is the local body that I want to pursue Jesus with. And so if you're already a member here at this church, I would encourage you to swing by guest services, pick that up, and prayerfully consider recommitting yourself to this local body. At guest services, you'll find a stapled copy of the Statement of Faith and two copies of the Membership Covenant. 
one for you to sign and turn back in, and the other one will be so that you can keep it yourself. Because sometimes, you know, like the terms and conditions online that we all say we read, right? We're all a bunch of liars, and we all know it. <laughs> we sign it, and we forget it, right? Well, I want you to have a copy of the membership covenant that you can take home. So hopefully you don't just sign it and forget it. Uh, you can sign that and leave it at guest services this morning if you feel led to, or you could take it home and look it over if you like. But for our members who are already a member of our church, I would ask you to prayerfully consider, I'm going to recommit myself to this local body as we move forward. I'm going to recommit myself to these people as we pursue Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not currently a member, let me talk to you for a minute. I'd like to ask you to go to guest services as well and pick up a copy of both of those things and prayerfully consider joining informal membership. Now, if you're not a member, your next step will be to have a pastoral meeting so that we can hear your salvation testimony, and that gives you a chance to get to know us. It gives us a chance to get to know you, and if you have any questions about anything that we address in this series, that will be your chance to have those questions answered, and I would love to set up a meeting with you. So you can get a copy of those at guest services, and there's a sign-up sheet at guest services to sign up saying, I'd like to schedule that meeting. I'd like to schedule a meeting so I can share how I came to faith in Christ. I can share how I was baptized with the, past, with the pastor, me, and we can move forward in joining. You sign up on that, I'll be in touch with you this week to get that meeting set up. Also, I'll say this, if you haven't been baptized, you're like, man, I want to join, but I haven't been baptized yet, so what do I do? Let me encourage you, go to guest services. You can pick up a copy as well, but just sign up for that meeting. And at that meeting, we'd love to talk to you about baptism. We would love to help you get baptized. You say, I have a hard time get, with, with whatever. Just, just come and set up a meeting. Don't let the fact that you haven't been baptized yet be the thing that keeps you from starting this process. We would love to help answer any questions that you have about baptism or membership and then we love to get the process going for you to become a member because we really do mean it. We want you to be a member of our church. If you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know if I'm a member or not. See me and I'll tell you. I know. Um, so feel free to see me afterwards. If you don't know, you're probably not. But see me afterwards and we'll, we'll look at it. Lastly, and this is, uh, we are working at putting together a membership directory so that we can know who our fellow members are. Um, and we're doing this inside of Planning Center. How many of you are familiar with Planning Center? It's what we use for our services. It's what we use for our groups. If you have filled out a sign-up form online, you have done it through Planning Center. It's what we use as our church-wide directory. Um, we rely on Planning Center quite a bit. And inside of Planning Center, we are working at putting together a member direct directory. Now, if you're a member, you should have already received an invitation to it. And when you receive that invitation, you can decide what information you want to share with your fellow members. It's 100% secure. It's only available to people who are members, so you don't need to be worrying about anybody that jumps on our website seeing your information. That's not going to happen. Um, it's only available to people who have formally joined in membership. And so if you haven't yet filled that out, if you haven't uh, gone through the process of that, a lot of you already have, and it's really helpful uh, but if you haven't yet, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider doing that. And the reason is, this allows us as members to see each other. You can upload a picture of you. You can upload a picture of your family. This just allows us to see each other. It allows us to pray for one another. It allows us to know one another. And if we're comfortable sharing some information like a phone number and email, it allows us to know how we can be in touch with each other so that we as members can develop relationships that go past just Sunday morning and midweek small group, but we can actually be in touch with each other throughout the week. Now, if you have any questions about church membership, I'm going to be in the lobby after the service. Please don't hesitate to ask. I know this has been a longer series. Uh, it's been, I think, seven or eight weeks. Um, so if you have any questions about any of it, please ask. I would love to take the time and answer the questions or to set up a meeting. Uh, but it's our prayer that this series will help inform the way people become members in the future. So as people seek to join us in the future, uh, they'll go through all the same material so that they'll know what is the church? What does it mean to be a member of the local church? What does this church believe? How do we join? What is the membership covenant? And that as people join in the future, we can all be on the same page, maintaining, keeping that unity of the Spirit. I'm going to pray, and then Jeremy's going to come up and give us some 
final announcements and close us. Lord, thank you so much for how you have made us one body in Christ. And I pray that as we move forward, that we would move forward as a family, that we would move forward in unity, members of your body, and that as we do so, we would declare your glory by the way we live, by the way we serve here in the city of Fresno and around the world. I pray that your spirit would be with us and that we would walk in the love of the Father made available to us by the grace of Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.